Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. In today's conversation, I sit down with a legend in the world of finance, Mr. Roger Ibbotson himself. In 1977, Roger published the first edition of Stocks, Bonds, Bills, and Inflation, a collection of historical returns dating as far back as 1926. In a sense, he was ahead of his time as no one had compiled this historical market data all in one place before in a way that was easy to understand. Based on the positive response from this landmark study, he founded Ibbotson Associates in the same year, which he later sold to Morningstar in 2006 for $83 million. Roger is currently chairman and CIO at Zebra Capital Management, and he has also served as a finance professor at the Yale School of Management for 30 years. Today, we dive into his most recent work, a white paper titled, Fixed Indexed Annuities, Consider the Alternative. In it, Roger examines how today's historically low interest rates and bond returns are putting many retirees in danger of not producing enough income from the fixed portions of their portfolios through retirement. He gets into the biases both consumers and financial advisors often have when they hear the word annuity and why his math shows that fixed indexed annuities may prove a viable alternative in many retirement portfolios. Here are a few of the highlights that we get into. First, Roger's story on how he built a database in 1977 that ended up becoming his seminal book, Stocks, Bonds, Bills, and Inflation, and launched his company, Ibbotson Associates. Next, we cover why it's so crucial to shift your clients' portfolios away from market-based returns as they approach retirement age, and how the industry standard bond equity mix might not be the best answer in the future. Then we get into the reasons why the bond market has become less and less appealing over the last several decades as a way to de-risk portfolios, but more importantly, what you can do about it. From there, we get into some behavioral finance and why many clients expect markets to continue to behave in the future as they have in the past. Whether that's the current bull market and believing the market will continue to go up forever, or a bear market similar to the financial crisis of 2008 and 9, where investors are permanently scared to safety. Lastly, Roger and I end with one of my favorite exchanges in our show's history, where he surprises me with a twist on an analogy of how bond performance since the Jimmy Carter days has been similar to Michael Phelps swimming with the current and the challenge of creating bond yield in an increasing interest rate environment. I promise his analogy will make you laugh. Okay, before we get to the show, Roger went above and beyond for all of you Blueprint listeners by offering you a free download of his just-released white paper, Fixed indexed annuities, consider the alternative. It's available at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 45. That's four five. As always, show notes that include links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed are available there as well. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening in. And without further delay, my conversation with Roger Ibbotson. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. We have a very, very special one here today. We have Roger Ibbotson, Chairman and CIO of Zebra Capital Management with us. Welcome to the show, Roger. Glad to be here. Well, I'm humbled to have you on the show. And I I have to give a special thanks to my friends over at Nexus that really uh, were matchmakers on this conversation. So thanks to Ron Schertz, Don Dady, Eddie, and Andy over on the team. They got us connected here, and we're going to dive deep on indexed annuities today, which I have to ask you, did you ever think in your storied career studying the markets, you'd be diving on a podcast talking about indexed annuities? Well, I really didn't even know what they were uh, quite a while ago. So when I worked on stock sponsors, bills, and inflation. So so I guess, no, I did not ever think that. But uh, now that I'm getting into this, I can see the, the needs for it. Well, great. We're going to dive deep. So I have to say, I always do research for my shows, but when you pull up a guy's Wikipedia page and it says American academic, you know you better really do your homework. So I've spent a lot of time digging in on all of the studies and the statistics you've done. And there was something that popped up that I... I, Before we get into your white paper, which we're going to spend the, the bulk of the conversation on, I just had to ask you because I was curious. 
So you founded Ibbotson Associates in 1977. I got that right, didn't I? Yes. Okay. And then in, let's see, one of your competitive advantages was you, cr- you created this database that stretched all the way back to 1926, included long-term capital market returns. And I'm just so curious because I feel like I'm old because back when I started, I was using fax machines to communicate. You were creating databases back in 1977 of all of this market data. So I just have to hear the story. How did this come to be? What drove you to create something that probably didn't exist back then? Well, first, let me say, I didn't actually collect the data in 1926. I'm not that old. But yes, you're right. It was in the the late 1970s. And really, there were these studies by by, uh, James Laurie and Larry Fisher at the University of Chicago that showed what happened to the stock market over long periods of time. But everybody asked them to update those studies. And they really never got around to updating those studies. And people wanted to know how the stock market had done. So that's, that's what brought me into this whole game here because there was such a, such a need, such a people at the time had no idea what happened to the stock markets over the long term. And, and then they also, uh, we were so interested in risk at the time. And so we wanted to compare them to bond markets. And so people had no idea about the difference between stock returns and bond returns over the period as well. And everybody was talking in academics about risk premiums. So there should be some extra return from the stock market over, over the bond market. And so uh, we just didn't have the data at the time. Mm. So that's what gave me the impetus to put this data together in the form, which was your books and, and uh, software and so forth, built around stocks, bonds, bills, and inflation. And that actually became the impetus of starting up Ibbotson Associates. Wow. What was that like? I mean, you're 1977. Are you in libraries just flipping through all types of old charts? What? How did you go about doing that? Well, fortunately, I was at the University of Chicago, and a lot of the data was there in, uh, yes, in libraries, but part of it was on computer and so forth. And I merely had to process a lot of this data because mm-hmm. the data was actually uh, really available. It just hadn't been processed. So. Yes, it was a real need, and once it was done, people could find could, could understand the relationship between stocks and bond markets and inflation and all those premiums. Uh, we got out of it things like the small stock premium, the what they call the equity risk premium, which is stocks versus bonds, or or the horizon premium, how long term long term bonds do relative to short term bonds, mm-hmm. or what are the real interest rates, how things compare with inflation. So all that data came out of it, and. Really, it was a forerunner for now all this data is routine and everybody thinks it's been around forever. But, but really, it wasn't around before, before we really did this in the 19, late 1970s. So you, were, you essentially were the original Yahoo Finance before it existed then, right? You were the guy compiling all this stuff that people had because it wasn't just go out to Google and, and type in a stock ticker. You literally had to go back and compile all of this research because people just had never done it before. That's right. I, I put it together and there was so much interest in it. I couldn't handle it as a, I was a professor at the University mm-hmm. of Chicago, but I couldn't, I couldn't handle all the requests for this. And that's why I set up my firm Ibbotson Associates mm-hmm. at the time, which by the way, later was sold to Morningstar in 2006. Yes. Yes. And so let's go into, let's dive deep into really, I'd call your newest frontier, which is FIAs. And so for those Listening in, I'm actually holding it up to the camera. So you just released this white paper, Fixed Indexed Annuities, Consider the Alternative. And what's interesting, just the timing of what's going on right now, you couldn't have timed this white paper, I don't think. I mean, you're the academic, but I don't think you could have timed it at a more important time when you look at what's going on out there right now. I just pulled an article from Financial Advisor Magazine, and it said earlier this year, I think it was January or February, when the the market volatility finally came back that had been missing all of last year. Typically, as you know, there's a flood to safety, to bonds. And they said this was the first time in a number of years where the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index was also dropping at the same time where all of this volatility was going on on the, on the equity side. So can you speak to what's going on out there? And I think that'll be a nice transition into really what you uncovered in your white paper here. That's why, in fact, I wrote the white paper because... But we sort of saw we saw a need here because the investors were really wanted to be part of the stock market in many ways. We we had certainly 
recognize that in saying the stocks, bonds, bills, and inflation, that stocks outperform bonds over the long run. But investors are really afraid to participate completely in the stock market because there's talk about maybe they're overpriced or they're getting more volatile. So they want to participate, but they're afraid to really go all in and they want to find another way of doing it. Now, the other thing that I really studied here was the approaching retirement. And that's where I had written in in the annuity space. And I'd written this monograph with the CFA Institute Mm -hmm. called Lifetime Financial Advice, Human Capital Asset Allocation and Insurance. So it was giving lifetime financial advice, how you're supposed to manage your investments over your lifetime. And when you were young, you've got a lot of wage income and actually the present value of that we call human capital, all the present value of wage income you're going to get over your whole lifetime. And so that's almost like a bond, that human capital. Hmm. So when you're young, you really on your financial capital have to load up on equities because you don't have enough equities in your portfolio. And so young people need to have a lot of equities in their portfolio, but as they start aging, they don't have that human capital wage income going forward. They have to start replacing their financial capital with something less risky. And this is particularly important as they start approaching retirement, because these are very sensitive years as you start approaching retirement. It can affect your whole wealth status as you as you get into retirement. And so as you start approaching retirement, you really need to de-risk that portfolio. And, and certainly that's what that monograph showed, that you need to have a mixture of more potentially bond-like investments in that portfolio. But as you mentioned, the problem today is that special with bonds today, bonds today have such low yields. The yields in the bond markets are less than 3%. So bonds have been traditionally the way you would approach this. You would bring more bonds into the portfolio. And by the way, bonds have done great over the last uh, decade and really over the last several decades. In fact, interest rates were so high They were in double digits in the early 1980s. And a bond return is a combination of a yield plus a capital gain or loss. So you get that yield, and then you get a a capital gain if yields drop, or you get a a capital loss, actually, if yields rise. But in the last 30 or 40 years, we've had continual drops in these yields. You've got these capital gains. So anybody who's been in the bond market over the last few decades has done just great. The problem is potentially as we move forward here. Yeah, it's interesting because the pre it was, you know, I, I kind of compare it to this teeter-totter and you had the the super high interest rates and inflation in the Jimmy Carter days that as you get to where we are today now, the low was it July of last year was the lowest that we'd seen interest rates historically in, in a really, really long time. I mean, when when did you remember when we hit rock bottom? There it was it was within the last year or so, right? It was recently. I don't actually have the the dates on that, but I guess the key is it's not likely to go much lower. Yeah. And if it start if interest rates start rising, you'll get the yield today, which is two to three percent, but you'll get potentially a loss then from the a capital loss from the bonds because uh, you'll basically lock in a low yield as yields rise. And that means the price of the bonds go down. Yeah. And so so what's interesting, I, I have to throw this out there because obviously a podcast for financial advisors, I started in the indexed annuity space in 2007. The product was invented in 95. And really, I feel like it's really just hitting the mainstream because if I would have talked to an asset manager you know, in the, in the 2007 range and said indexed annuity, they probably hung up the phone. Right. That was about the view of the product back in those days. And what's interesting today, though, is I still think some of that stigma exists. Do, being a guy that's lived in this world forever, can you expand on maybe why, why is there this image or perception when, when you look at the math in your white paper, it gets very clear that there's a, a huge opportunity here that a lot of asset managers are missing. But I feel like there's this stigma in the industry where they're still having a tough time getting comfortable with with annuities when it comes to asset allocation. Can you can you hit on or share your thoughts there? Well, uh, I mean, it, there is something legitimate there in the sense that I would say that that fixed index annuities are not for everybody. Mm-hmm. They're really for the long-term investor. And the problem with fixed index annuities uh, for some investors anyway is you're actually committing yourself over 
nine or 12 year or some contract period. Mm-hmm. And although you have liquidity, you can get out. You have to pay a penalty if you get out early. But for the long-term investor, it's a much more appropriate investment here. So yes, it, 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 liquidity can be a problem. And that's why I say it's not for everybody because any, this is not for the part of the portfolio that you need to meet any immediate expenses and so forth. This is the part of the portfolio that is planning for your retirement. And in fact, mm-hmm. the nature of annuities is that annuities, um, these accumulation annuities can be converted then into payout annuities that pay out during your retirement period. And so I guess I should probably also just at a high level explain what an index annuity is because there's there's multiple annuities out there that exist and oftentimes they get confused. So you, you actually do a great job in your white paper right at the front end a fixed indexed annuity is a tax-deferred retirement savings vehicle. And then I'm going to share one other little snippet, and then we'll, we'll dive in and see where you want to roam around on the white paper. In simulation, using dynamic participation rates and uncapped index crediting designs, a generic large-cap indexed annuity using a large-cap equity index outperformed long-term bonds with similar risk characteristics and better downside protection. And you back-tested this over the period 1927 all the way through 2016. So this wasn't cherry picking best case scenarios. This is literally going back a long ways historically. Um, are there any other things that you would share just about indexed annuities that you uncovered in your research just as how you would define them to the audience? Yeah, well, part of the confusion is annuities really have two general forms. One is the accumulation deferred annuities that we're talking about here. And the other is the uh, immediate or payout annuities that take place uh, during retirement. So we're talking about the accumulation stage here. We're talking about the accumulation. Fixed index annuities are a deferred accumulation annuity. They can, of course, be converted to a payout annuity and actually protect against the longevity risk of retirement. Any annuity actually can go through that conversion. But we're really talking about the accumulation stage here. So that's what I was measuring here over that period 1927 through, in this case, 2016, uh, that 90-year period, I was measuring the accumulation of uh, buying a fixed index annuity for its accumulation and comparing it to the stock and bond markets. Yeah. So let's let's go in. I've got a few highlights here, and I, I would love to get your, your commentary. So what you did was you back-tested over three-year rolling periods, the FIA versus 60% of the S&P 500 uncapped, which is there's a number of products out there today that have similar crediting methods. And then like you said, versus the S&P and then also versus uh, bond market. So the first thing, and I'm, I'm going to hold it up to the screen here so you can see which section I'm talking about. I found this very, very interesting. So it's actually page 13 for those of you that listen in and download the white paper. Um, so there's this diagram right here, Roger, if you remember that where you basically show historically from 26 through uh, 2016 long-term government bonds versus indexed annuities. And the, the thing that I found very interesting, especially how bonds are utilized, typically in asset allocation, I think a lot of advisors say, hey, we're going to put some of this. You use a lot of 60-40 allocations in this study. So we're going to put this percentage over here so that if the market has some volatility or drops, your bonds are actually the safe part of your portfolio. Well, what your study actually uncovered was 13% of the time, at least between 1927 and 2016, they returned zero to negative 5%. Can you expand on the reason behind that? Uh, yes. Uh, I was comparing annuities to stocks and, uh, stocks and bonds, of course. Mm-hmm. And both stocks and bonds can lose money. And you're showing up the chart that actually showed that bonds can lose money. And the reason why bonds can actually have negative returns is because you start out with that yield and then you have a rise in yields that leads to a price drop and you have a negative return. So bonds can have, bonds are risky. They're not, uh, you may think of them as even treasury bonds are risky. They may not default, but because interest rates change, bonds are risky and they can have these negative returns. Now, the other thing I, I should describe about that fixed index annuity is the fixed index annuity is protecting the portfolio. A fixed index annuity cannot lose money over any three-year period. That's that's what the insurance company is providing here. The insurance company is saying, we're going to give you some equity participation, but 
equity and equities, of course, mostly go up. They can drop even more dramatically than bonds. But if during any three-year period, we end up with a negative number here, we're going to just give you zero or perhaps some low interest rate here, but not not a negative number. You will not be able to lose money over any three-year period with a fixed index annuity. That's why it's a it actually has better risk characteristics than bonds because bonds can lose money and fixed index annuities uh, have about the same volatility on the upside, but not really on the downside here because on the downside, they, they're protected here and yeah. they have that, uh, they have, you just can't take any losses here. That's what the insurance company is insuring. Yeah. Essentially you have that 0% floor, right? Um, yes. So, and that's what I'll, I'll, once again, for those joining on video, I'm going to hold up basically the green chart here. It was really interesting because I highlight the 13% of the time that your study showed that bonds actually lost money over that time period. And on the FI front, you just eliminate anything below zero. And essentially, you just add it over there to the third column and the math's almost equivalent. So um, I thought that was incredible. And I love how you just summarize that in a, a fairly simple way because that's a lot of data. But two simple charts just show that right on page 13. So, you know, one of the reasons we get these kind of results here, though, on the annuity is we're showing the what would have happened with an uncapped uh, annuity at, where you're getting participation in the equity market without being capped. Some annuities actually have caps, and they might not get those very highest returns that you show. Typically, if you're if you're capped, you're typically going to get even a higher equity participation rate, but you'll be capped in terms of the high returns. Getting these extra high returns are particularly important, though, because they ultimately, over the contract period, give are responsible for a big part of the return. Hey, Blueprint listeners, I have a special opportunity for you this week. I mean, I wouldn't interrupt the middle of an interview otherwise. We are hosting for the first time ever at AE headquarters an event unlike any other. It's taking place May 30th through June 1st. It's completely focused on how you as a financial advisor can make the leap from traditional old school marketing to the new digital frontier. We're going to focus on how to break away from old school tactics and learn what's working for some of our top clients from across the country when it comes to new strategies on Facebook that are driving prospects to your events. And even better, it doesn't require you to pay for dinner. Here's a bit of what we'll cover at the event. First, we'll have the actual Facebook marketing expert who helped run Trump's Facebook marketing campaign during the election. I might add, this isn't a political conversation where he'll be discussing right or left, just doing a deep dive into the tactical strategies that drove results for the campaign. Next, we're going to have a digital marketing firm that is consistently filling our clients' events with 40 plus prospects per evening. What's incredible is they've only missed this number four times in over 400 plus campaigns the last three years. And all attendees are being invited directly from Facebook ads with an online registration process to attend an educational event with no dinner being served, no direct mail whatsoever being used. They'll show you exactly how they are doing it, including something on Facebook called a lookalike audience, which is a tool you can utilize to literally clone your top clients. More on that and how they do it at the event. Then of course, once you get a qualified attendee to actually show up, it becomes about the automated follow-up process you have in place to get them from your event to your office. And then once they get to your office, to becoming a client. We'll have an Infusionsoft expert in to share exact campaigns working today in financial services. And by the way, if you aren't familiar with Infusionsoft, you should be as it is changing the game for our clients. Lastly, we'll have two of our top performing offices, which gathered $233 million and $97 million organically in 2017. They're going to share their real-world marketing ROIs, how they consistently keep the calendar full, and the key to scaling your firm so you're no longer a salesperson or an asset manager that has to show up to work each day, but rather a CEO. So if you'd like to see if you qualify to attend, it's as simple as taking 5 minutes to fill out a short application online at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash the catalyst. That's T-H-E-C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T. So we can understand more about your business and make sure that the event best fits you. And for those that qualify, we'll fully cover your cost to attend, including your flight, your hotel, and your ticket to the event. And if you play your cards right, maybe we'll even crack a bottle of wine or two at my house. You never know. With that being said, 
This is the first time we've ever done an event fully focused on digital marketing. So I promise you it's going to fill up fast. I've actually already seen a few registrations coming in. So go fill out the application at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash the catalyst to save your spot today. And I'm going to be looking forward to the chance to meet a few of you face to face. And something I, I just I want to throw this in there now. And I find the same thing that you you hit on a little bit earlier as far as what I would say um, an asset manager or financial advisors call it. Um, one thing we talk a lot about on our side when we're coaching financial advisors is math versus emotions. And, and one thing I know you know a lot about is math, right? So we see a lot of times though, people at the emotional kind of the, they have certain prejudices versus certain products or tools as it applies to financial services. And one of the things I was just talking with one of our top clients the other day, he said, what I try to do as an independent advisor, as a fiduciary is just essentially not show any favoritism to the financial tool, just express here's the pros and cons on each one. And one of the things he shared that I would love to hear your opinion on if you kind of feel the same way is he was simply having a conversation with the client the other day. And he said, here's the deal. If we're trying to eliminate some, some volatility and some downside risk in your portfolio, most of my industry, most of the people in my chair would use bonds to do that. And as I look at the current interest or the interest rate and financial environment as it exists today, I can, like you said, get you about 3% probably on this bond portfolio. And by the way, as an asset manager, then I charge you 1% to manage that. So you make three, I take one off the top for my fee. So that's option A. Or option B, I look over here at another fixed asset class, an indexed annuity. And when I look back historically, and you've got the math right in here, 3 to 6% range of reality as far as the actual return. And by the way, there is no fee coming off of that because I don't obviously manage an indexed annuity. So there's no 1% fee coming off the top. And that's option B. So he's, he's kind of doing a side-by-side. And he's saying, I'm just looking at the math. And the math tells me I'm taking option B, which is the 3 to 6% return with no fee. So I just I wanted to share that with you because I want to see, is there anything off base with there? I know that's not the full story. That's very high level. But what are your thoughts on that simple A-B comparison based on the current environment? Well, I have a couple comments. Um, one on the behavioral aspects, which I'll get back to in a second. But first on the fee, fee part of this, I'm not really saying that there's no fees because uh, the insurance company obviously have to cover their costs here. Mm-hmm. And so there, these fees are embedded in in the insurance price and how much equity participation you get in the equity product. So there is, there is a fee. It's not that the fee, but we're, but that's and I was very aware of it. And that's why we actually presented everything on a net basis, mm-hmm. a net of fees in the white paper. Mm-hmm. I will say that's one of the things people talk about is the complexity here or the transparency issues about insurance products, because Yes, there, there are. Obviously, the insurance company has to get paid in some form, and, but you don't see it quite in the same way. In fact, the fees are really much lower, mostly go away if you hold it over the whole contract period. If you have to get out early, if you want to get early, you're gonna, you'll see that fee more directly because you're going to have to pay a penalty on, get, on getting out early. That's why I say this is for long-term investors who are really using this as a in planning for retirement, because uh, so I'm not saying I'm not saying there isn't some actual costs actually involved here. There are costs, of course, mm-hmm. but the, but they're not that high for the investor who actually invests over the whole contract period. And actually, then ultimately they can convert it to this payout annuity, which actually protects against their longevity risk, the other form of a of an annuity. Sure. Let me say one, one other thing, if yeah. I may. Uh-huh. Uh, because the other part of the question you asked about behavioral, that's really why we have a, these kind of products, because they're really based on behavioral finance. They're based on what people really want. You know, People are concerned about equity markets, but they also are concerned about the low yields of, of bond markets. They don't want to lose money as they enter retirement. That, that's, that's their great fear here. These are very important years for them. And they don't want to. They don't want to lose money in approaching retirement. So, from a behavioral perspective, these products are tailor made to specifically meet what people really want. And they. And that's why we have the principal protection here. 
And that's why we have the equity participation. These are the facets of the product that actually are tailor-made. But once you tailor-make a product that gives people exactly what they want, by its very nature, it's going to be a little more complex. And that's where the, some of the complexity and the transparency issues come in. But I don't think of it as a bad here. I think of it actually as something that's actually matching what people really want here. If you tailor make a product to exactly what you want, you have to make it more complex to actually meet their needs. So as we, I guess we're really going to move into kind of the return profiles anyway. So I think you'll probably hit on it here. So for those uh, listening in that go out and download the white paper, this is page 16 and 17. And Roger, I'll pull it up here for you. The FIA scenario analysis, if you remember this section, this, like I said, you couldn't have timed this white paper at any uh, more interesting time because the Fed just raised rates. And they've said, I believe they're going to raise rates three more times is kind of the projected analysis. And what you do a great job of here at the bottom. So exhibit 11A, rates are unchanged over a three-year period. So let's say the interest rate environment does not bump up as if the Fed says it's going to. And you do an expected three-year annualized return and you do a side-by-side here. You do a 60-40 stocks and bonds portfolio. You do a 60-20-20 stocks, bonds, FIAs with bonds and FIAs being a 20-20. And then you do a 60-40 where stocks and then you completely swap out the bonds for FIAs. Do you want to unpack the numbers or do you want me to throw some of them out there as far as some of the surprising things you found there? Well, I, I won't talk specifically about a number. You can, you can throw out a number if you'd like. Okay. Uh, but I'll just say in general, when the mar- stock markets are up, you're getting that equity participation. So that's one of the, one of the things you're getting in a, with a fixed index annuity. You're getting part of the stock market. Now, of course, if the stock market goes down, you may do a little worse than the 60 40 portfolio because the bond part might not have the same drop, but you won't have any losses. That's the key. You will not have any losses over any three-year period. Yeah, it was interesting looking at 11A where where interest rates were flat. Essentially, the to sum it up and not you know go into line-by-line, column-by-column numbers, the more allocated to an FIA, the better the return in a flat market, a plus 10 market, a plus 20 market. And as you just stated, if the market lost negative 10%, the bond portfolio did slightly better because there's a, a fixed rate that's attached to it, right? In a negative market. However, as you compare in the next three diagrams, so for those of you following along, 11B, C, and D, you basically do the exact same analysis in an interest rate environment that increases 1% over a three-year period, followed by a 2%, followed by a 3%. And the math comes out pretty clear that the more you allocate to an FIA, at least mathematically and statistically, the better your odds are in a rising interest rate environment. So what, what are your thoughts around that? And what, what would you like to share with, with financial advisors out there that are listening in around that? So when interest rates rise, bonds fall in price. And so a person who invests in a lot of bonds will not do very well in that rising interest rate environment. That's very likely or potentially the kind of environment we're in right now because we're starting out with such low yields and they're starting to rise. So if they'll continue to rise, it's not a good period. So that's why we, I actually put these, these, uh, diagrams in, uh, these, these tables in 11B, C, and D, because we're looking at potential rises in interest rates. That's the danger here because people are buying bonds because they are de-risking the portfolio. But if the interest rates rise, those stock bond portfolios will not do as well as putting in fixed index annuities. So I think that's the environment we potentially are in here. And that's why uh, it's so interesting to look at a FIA today. As we go into that kind of the viewpoint there, most of our clients are dealing with retirees. And so if, if you were a retiree today, and maybe even say you've got a million dollars just sitting there and you're looking to invest it with the thought process that, hey, I, I kind of need this to be around. This is my nest egg that's going to drive income for me here over the next 10, 20, 30 years. As you compare the option, option A, bond, option B, FIA, with the thought process that interest rates are looking like they're probably going to be heading up, where would you be putting your money or what thought process would you have behind that? Well, it's particularly... Now, if it, once you actually need the cash flow, well, you could have riders, of course, in this that gives you some cash flow, but also that would be the traditional 
pay out annuities, they'll give you the cash flow. This is as you're building up toward that period. And so this is really, um, if you don't need, need the cash, you can be in early retirement or you could be approaching retirement. Uh, this, this might be appropriate for it. But once you start needing the cash flow, at the end of the contract period, you would convert this to the payout annuity. So it's a way of actually getting, defer, you're also deferring taxes, by the way, over the period that, during this contract period. So it's a way of building up your wealth in this tax-deferred way that's essentially protecting your principal in this very important period of your life, really. When you, it's because if you lose money as you before, right before retirement or right before you need these cash flows, it's very hard to uh, readjust to get it back at that point because you don't, you're not earning any income after that. And so that's where you really need to protect your, your financial capital. Let's go, let's go there. We had 2017 just happen. It's behavioral finance 101, right? When the market's going straight up, everybody thinks it's always going to keep going straight up forever. And so we, we actually, you know, we deal on both sides. We also have an asset management firm that's over $3 billion now. And we saw a lot of this happen last year where our advisors were coming to us and saying, retirees, 55, 65, 70 years old were coming into the office and saying, oh, I, I don't really feel that bad about risk. I think I want to allocate most of my retirement nest egg to the market. I mean, shoot, it's going straight up. I don't want to miss out on these returns. And and I know that's something that we've hit kind of around here. So why does that happen? In your, in your years of studying the market, why does that just happen over and over and over? That's one of the behavioral issues here. People extrapolate. And so you have a great market for a few years and they just think it's going to continue on having a great market. And when you have a poor market, they think that's going to continue on too. Well, the nice thing about the uh, FIA here is that you, when you have a great market, like last year, you actually get a lot of participation in that great market. You actually get a great return on your, your fixed index annuity. When you have that really poor market, you, your principal is protected and you don't really lose money during that period. So it kind of protects against uh, the kind of behavioral people extrapolate way too much. And first of all, this is a long-term contract. So you can't just move money in and out. You've got to uh, you've got to stick with this. But actually, it works to your benefit because people have a tendency to, and there have been studies that shown have shown this. People have a tendency to chase last year's return and sort of get out of the stock market at the wrong time, like right after a drop, or ride a stock market at the wrong time after a huge rise. But those aren't necessarily the right times to be in the stock market, of course. But this is a mixed product with a fixed index annuity. You you are in the market. It's just that you're protected on the downside. Yeah, it's um well starting out my first year was 2007. So what a year to start out in a financial services business because uh, I mean I'm just a baby in the business in 2008 2009 happens and I saw exactly what you're speaking to. I saw 2008 2009 our business tripled. Uh, we were dealing in indexed annuities, right? And at actually the worst time, a client could have probably cashed out the bottom of the market, right? Like s- sell low, buy high. That's not how the advice goes. And now I think we're seeing the other side of that play out where everybody's buying high when in reality, we don't know what the market's going to do. We do know historically, this is one of the longest bull runs in the history of the US. So yeah, it's probably getting a little long in the tooth. But right now, you would think people should be saying, hey, I- I've actually recovered from 0809. It's time to maybe take some of the chips off the table. As you stated, the FIA still gives them a lot of the upside participation in the market, but then protects against the downside. So if you were a financial advisor, how would you start to walk a client through the thought process when you know you're dealing with just human greed? I mean, that's just the human psychology of wanting what's going up. So any advice there for financial advisors? Well, let me say even up front here that I think the key to uh, uh, distributing fixed index annuities is having a trusted financial advisor because we don't want an advisor who's going to put you in this contract and then take you out and, and you end up paying penalties and so forth. We want the advisor to match people to uh, really the long-term investor who really is preparing for retirement. That's who should be buying this product. And so it starts with having that trusted advisor who 
who in fact is working in the client's best interest here. They're not just trying to get a commission of some sort or something. Mm -hmm. They're really actually trying to meet the retirement needs of the investor. So it's very important to start with that trusted advisor. Now, the other part of this is is education. I guess that's one of our whole purposes of the white paper, really to help educate not only the end user, but of course also the advisors here to what were what is the nature of a fixed index annuity. So that the more we can understand that, and these are one of the issues that, you know, it is a little bit complicated when you make a tailor-made product that is that is perfect, perfectly, I guess, designed to meet the needs of the investor, but becomes a little bit complicated. Here, we've got to educate the advisor so the advisor understands the product. And, and ultimately, that trusted advisor can serve the clients, ultimately building up for their retirement and then how eventually converting to protect against their longevity risk. First off, I just have to say thank you because I know this white paper didn't create itself. I know you guys spent a lot of time, a lot of research that, that went into it. One thing that I've seen this do with your last name, Ibbotson, it kind of carries a little weight in the securities world. I don't know if you knew that or not. But um, when, when a guy like yourself comes out with a white paper, I think what you're going to do is you're going to see a lot of asset managers. I, I've got a couple friends manage well north of a billion dollars. And I, I feel like I feel like it's kind of the index annuity has been a little bit of just kind of this, uh, no, I'm an asset manager. I don't deal in those. And I think what your white paper will do is open a lot of eyes as this as a true option, as a fixed a fixed asset class that has a place in a portfolio for a retiree. And so I just want to thank you because I think there's a lot of people that have probably not really giving, given the indexed annuity a chance that this white paper, when they actually take it a second and look at the math and take their emotions out of it, they'll really see, wow, this has a place in a portfolio for the, for the right clients. So is there anything as we kind of wrap the conversation on the white paper that I didn't hit on that you want to bring into the conversation before we move on to another topic? I think we've hit on the main points. Uh, the key is that it's kind of, we want this, it's not for everybody, but it's for the investor who actually is actually preparing for retirement, who has a longer term outlook. Perfect. So as you look out over the next few decades, if the caution around just bonds and what's going to happen as interest rates climb, let's say I just completely ignore that as either a financial advisor or as a retiree, what's the danger there? Well, the danger is just uh, poor returns on you thought you were de-risking, but you end up with poor returns on the bond portion of your portfolio that was shown in the tables and so forth. You end up with really not very good results. And it's kind of extreme to say this, but you potentially end up jeopardizing your retirement. I think that that's, it's scary. And it's actually a huge statement. Most advisors aren't, I would say most, I mean, I, that's a broad generalization. I'd say a lot that there's a blind spot out there because I think there's just kind of, as you look back, if you've been a financial advisor since the Jimmy Carter days, you've been a financial advisor during this, probably the most massive bull market in the history of bonds. Is that fair to say? As yes, far as- it definitely is fair to say. And that's why yeah. for those of us who, we shouldn't be extrapolating bond returns, but, but many people naturally do. They say, well, bonds have been great for me over the last few decades. Really, um, as you say, not quite since, yeah, really just about through Jim, Jimmy Carter. After Jimmy Carter, they were basically great for really bonds peaked out in 1981, early 1981. So since then, bonds have been great, but it, we're really talking about the future. And yes, they've been great for the last few decades. That's sort of why, why we would look at, at fixed index annuities today rather than say a long time ago, because actually bonds were serving this purpose. They were de-risking the portfolio. They started out with a high yield. And yes, they may have had capital gains or loss. And it turned out they had mostly capital gains. So they not only got that high yield, but they got a gain from the drop in interest rates. So they, they just did very well over this period of time. It's not an accident that we got interested in, in FIAs today, though, because the difference is today's yields are so low. And they're not very likely to uh, keep dropping. And really, uh, I guess the best estimate is that you're going to get the yield, and you certainly could get less than that from a capital loss from these bonds. 
So I, I just can't, maybe this is a silly analogy, but I'm just trying to think, how do you explain this? It was almost like bonds were Michael Phelps swimming with the current, right? It, they, they were doubling up. They were a good product, but they also had the addition of an interest rate that just dropped over a 20 to 30 year time period. So you put Michael Phelps in the Amazon swimming with the current, he's going to swim really fast. But as we look at the future, flip him around, and now he's swimming against the current where interest rates are climbing. It's going to slow down his times a little bit. That's that's kind of what we're talking about with bonds right now, right? That's it's even stronger than that. That's a good analogy, but it's even just like Michael Phelps uh, swimming with the current, and then turning in a then replace him with a low yield swimmer like myself swimming <laughs> against the current. <laughs> and, and so the returns are going to be totally different. The speed will be totally different between between those two things because it isn't only the the current, which is effective as the yield in your, in your analogy, I'm sorry, the the change in the yield, I guess, because you're getting the benefit of the drop in yields, but you're also starting with such a slow swimmer, I guess. You get that combination, you're not likely to do that well in bonds in the future. So we're at a, a kind of an inflection point here, and we're just looking at other ways of trying to accomplish this, accomplish our goals and as we approach retirement. So you just made me think we're going to... Have you seen the video where um, Shaq races Michael Phelps in the swimming pool? It was a special like <laughs> probably three or four years ago. I ha- haven't seen that. Uh, Shaq must have big strokes. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say he gets crushed. And so <laughs> what I'm going to do, I'm going to put that video in the show notes because because we threw that analogy in there. So thanks for expanding on that. I did not know the conversation was going to go there, but I'm glad it did. So as, as we wrap the conversation here on your side, Roger, I would love to just ask you some more philosophical questions into kind of what's led to your success and things like that. Are you good for another five to 10 minutes? Certainly. Okay, let's do it. So I, ha- I have to ask this one. As I'm thinking, what do I ask Roger? So a guy that... And, and before I get there, before 1977, before you founded Ibbotson Associates, what was your experience before that? Were you also in finance? Actually, I was a bond portfolio manager. <laughs> I was a bond portfolio man. While I was getting my PhD at the University of Chicago, I ended up managing the uh, the university endowments bond portfolios. So I'm pretty familiar with bonds. Uh, that was my first job, really, in the financial field, managing the university's bond portfolios. Wow. So these are really strong statements based on your background then. Um, well, it makes me understand bonds. And by the way, bonds are mostly mathematical. But you know, when you get into uh, individuals here and how they behave, that's where behavioral finance uh, comes along. And that's something that I, I guess I picked up later from all my colleagues at uh, universities, here, particularly at Yale, for example, Yale University, where I'm a professor. Mm-hmm. So there, we're trying to understand how people behave. So part of the story is mathematics, but another part of the story is how people behave. Have you happened to cross paths with a guy named Dr. Daniel Crosby yet? Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't. No. I need to introduce you to. You would get along well. Uh, He was on a a couple episodes ago. He's a behavioral finance guy. So, Okay, so I have to ask you this. Being a guy that's essentially dedicated your whole life to money and finance, I'm curious if you think way back, would you be open to sharing your first memory of money? My first memory of money? Well, I probably shouldn't do this, but essentially I bought some stocks when I was very young and they did very well. And I ended up making more money in those stocks than I did during my summer jobs at the time. So how, young, how, young you? how young were you and what did you buy? Well, I bought like the Ford Motor Company, for example, and Ford Motor Company had just gone public shortly before that but it dropped in price eventually and then i and i thought well it just had gone public a year before and it was i think it was 56 or something and it fallen to 32 and this is the 1950s and i thought well i don't know much about markets but why is it was at 56 and now it's 32 and i just bought some now i i admit i didn't know anything but and i did well and that got me interested and i learned, of course, over time that making money isn't that easy. But I had a, I guess I was lucky in the early days. It's better than being lucky at a gambling casino, though, where you get lucky and you get addicted to gambling. I got addicted to something, an interesting field that has all kinds of potential that that really uh, helps people. Yeah, I think it served you okay. 
I mean, I think you did all right in this field. So how old were you? Do you remember? I was, I think, 16. And my father had bought stocks for the first time because he'd brought up, come up in the depression and people were afraid of the stock market. And people, none of his friends bought stocks and he started buying stocks. And so I had to have a, it was a uniform gift to miners account at the time. You had to have a different way because I was a miner. I couldn't buy the stocks directly, but I started buying stocks because I was always saving money myself or whatever money I dug up, I would save. And then I would, for my summer jobs and so forth. So, so anyway, it got me very interested in the financial markets. So your dad really, would, he, he kind of ushered you into it because he would have had to sign off for you buying the stocks. Yeah, he did. He definitely, uh, we talked about stocks all the time in those days. My father was not, not in the financial field. He was in, he was, but he was an entrepreneur. So, so he was, he was a heating contractor. Just to, this'll be fun. We have a lot of younger financial advisors that listen in here too. The process of buying a stock back in those days, how did you go about doing it? Well, because I had to go through the, I was a, I was a minor. So I, you went through a broker, but, but I had to do it through my father. Yes. I couldn't buy stocks as a minor. So did you have to literally drive over to the financial advisor's office or the broker's office and sign papers to buy stocks? Or what, what did that look like? I think you could do this over the phone after you set up your account. Interesting. I mean, I'm not that old. This is, you know, we had telephones in those days. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear the word successful, who's the first person you think of and why? I think Warren Buffett would be a good answer here. But essentially what Warren Buffett has done is invested uh, long term, and we're interested, and we're talking here about making long term investments here. He's also tried to invest in the companies that are had strong fundamentals. It's something that I uh, typically do here. In that particular case, I actually we invest in stocks that are less popular, the stocks that are more overlooked. And I think that's something that Warren Buffett does too. I don't literally copy him, of course, in any way, mm-hmm. but but he's an example of somebody who's who's actually had great success in, in, in the capital markets. Have you and Warren crossed paths over the years? Yes, I've, I've, a couple of times, yes. Do you have any good... I, mean, I can't claim to be his good friend or anything, but... Do you have any good Warren stories or wisdom that he shared with you over the years? Well, I, I don't think I've had enough contact with him that I, I... I have only public knowledge of mostly what he says. I mean, I've heard him give talks and things, but, yeah. but I, I wouldn't say that he's my mentor. I would say that... Uh, He's, he's a person who, though, has, uh, has that long-term outlook, which I definitely share. For sure. And he's, he's definitely a guy that, going back to our analogy of swimming with the current, he makes very smart decisions at the right time that are not emotional-based whatsoever. I remember reading an article back in 08, the Goldman Sachs deal that he brokered when nobody had liquidity. You know, he had liquidity, so he cut a really good deal that ended up pretty well when all these financial institutions were basically on death's doorstep. So just a smart guy. All around. Well, that's that's certainly one of the approaches that we've had to, uh, I've always had to investing. And now I write actually a lot on popularity, actually buying the less popular stocks uh, and avoiding or even shorting the popular stocks because those stocks tend to be overpriced. Well, yes. I, I'm prepared. I've got it right here. I told you I did a lot of research for this conversation. Yeah, the, the whole Zebra Index. I mean, that's that's a big piece of how you build it, right? Yes, uh, that's how that is how we actually build products here. That uh, we actually avoid the hot stocks uh, because those are the stocks that actually, if anything, tend to be overpriced. And uh, well, I would say we go after—I don't like to call it unpopular. That's why we've called this cool stocks. We actually go after the cool stocks here uh, because You're- but those cool stocks are actually where the those are the overlooked stocks. Those are the, those are the stocks that actually have the more attractive prices. You titled it the politically correct way, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So someone that's as studious as you, you have to have a book or two that's impacted your life over the years. So my question is, what are those books? What have you taken from them? Or is there a book that you've repeatedly gifted over the years that you could share with everyone? I have to admit, I've been writing my own books. <laughs> so I've written enough of my own books. That I, I, those are the ones that I'm passing out, of course. Mm-hmm. Like stocks, well, the one that I've really comes out as an annual is stocks, bonds, bills, and inflation, and which gives all the historical returns and and analyzes the risk return characteristics of the markets. So it's not that I don't read other books. Of course, I do, but uh, I have to admit that as an author, I'm really writing a lot of my own books. Uh, and I'm writing a book right now, actually, a monograph 
for the ICFA Institute again, which is called uh, Popularity, a Bridge Between Classical and Behavioral Finance. So that should be coming out uh, this year. And it talks about popularity. It talks about classical finance, of course, and it talks about behavioral finance and how these are all kind of linked together. So when you really talk about finances, this whole package here, and I believe that popularity is a way to actually link everything together. Well, let me know as soon as there's a pre-order link. We'll throw it in the show notes, get you some sales. Sound good? Well, I, I don't, this is a, I don't think I even get, I don't get royalties on this. So this is a CFA monograph. So yeah. I won't get royalties, but, but well, we'll, uh, I'm happy we'll to start your, your message, right? We'll get, we'll get your message out there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and by the way, just a complete aside, but you may have the most expensive book on Amazon because your 2017 guide, the, uh, as it's called, the, I think the acronym, whereas it SBBI, so the stocks, bonds, bills, and inflation yearbook, it's like $150 or something. So you know it's a good book if you have to pay that much to get it, right? Well, that's what classical economics says, yes. <laughs> You're using some behavioral finance in the book pricing, right? <laughs> um, okay, so I've got, I've got two more questions, then I'll let you get on to the rest of your day. And I'm, I'm super appreciative, Roger. This has been a really fun conversation. The first one, is there something that you would like to see considered absurd 25 years from now? Of course, you know, I have made long-term forecasts often. I've actually forecast, back in 1976, I forecast that the market would hit, that the Dow would hit 10,000 by 2000, and it did. So I've made those kind of 25-year forecasts in the past. And uh, so I'm saying it's not absurd. I would generally project something like we've had over the last, say, 90 years, Going, going forward, what's different is we have lower inflation rates today. So I don't actually think we'd get the 10% return that we've had over the last 90 years in the stock market. That would be absurd in the sense mm-hmm. that it's, we, we need so much inflation to get it. But I do think we're going to get the uh, kind of premiums and risk premiums in the market. We're going to get very high returns long-term, very long-term in the stock market. Most people don't have that patience for that 25-year horizon you're talking about. But I don't think it's absurd to think that. I think it's almost for sure that we can think that stocks are really likely to beat bonds over the next 25 years. What would be absurd is if bonds beat stocks over the next 25 years. That would be absurd. <laughs> Do you? Th- by the way, over the last 25 years, bonds almost match stocks. Right, uh, so- and now... But it would be absurd if they even get close to the stocks over the next 25 years. It would be absurd if Roger Ibbotson's swimming beat Michael Phelps, is what you're saying, right? Yes, yes that would be absurd, <laughs> too. Um, I guess it could happen if Michael Phelps ended up drowning in the pool or something. <laughs> How much of that plays into the baby boomer demographics as well? As far as, obviously, the, the boomers fed a lot of the economy in the 80s and 90s. But where do you see that playing in? Do you have any thoughts around that? Well, that isn't necessarily helpful to the stock market uh, because we get much more retired people over time as a bigger portion of the, of the investors, and they have to start de-risking their portfolio. So I, that would probably argue for lower lower returns. I, but I can make arguments on all kinds of sides of this because, for example, the world just speeds up over time. And so that's an argument for higher returns. So we could have higher returns or lower returns. I could make a list on, on both sides of this, I guess. As to what the return should be. The biggest piece, though, is inflation. Inflation gets built into returns. Over the long term, it gets built into the stock returns. And in particular, inflation gets built into that bond yield. Right now, we have almost no inflation, and that's why the bond yields are so low. If we actually got some inflation in the future, and we could easily have, you know, we've had very high inflations at different periods of time. If we actually got inflation, those bond yields are going to really shoot up. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Last question. What is the one piece of advice that you could share with the audience that's led to your success to this point, Roger? Well, for me, it's always been a combination of, I actually think education and academics have a lot to contribute. And for me, it's always looking at what's going on in the academic world, contributing to it, but turning around and applying it as much as possible in the real world. And essentially, this involves 
teamwork on everybody's part because we rely on the whole academic community in our firm, say, Zebra Capital. We're relying on our team to actually build these things. We're relying on other firms like like your firm and the Nexus and Nationwide and so forth. We, In order to actually make things work, they actually have to put things together. Multiple players from different sides have to work together. And I'll give you an outside another. One of the things I'm a little worried about, frankly, right now is trade wars, because that's sort of the opposite of teamwork here, where countries may be uh, getting in battles with each other in different forms. Yeah, that's been in the news a little bit here the last couple of days, hasn't it? Yes. <laughs> you, you never know what, what tweet you're going to wake up to. It's always an interesting day. So, Well, Roger, thank you so much. Super grateful for you carving out the time and especially... There's going to be a lot of financial advisors all over the country that are going to benefit a ton from this. So thanks for the work you do. Thanks for the work that you've done over the years. And you have to be proud. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 37 and it's just an honor to sit here and, and learn from you in this conversation because I see a guy that through your work, through the education and through the, the authoring of the, all of the work that you've put out, you've impacted a number of retirees all through the country. So it's very inspiring to me. So thank you. Well, thank you. Brad, it's certainly been great talking with you, and I appreciate the chance to talk to your audience. All right, Roger. Take care. Until next time. Thanks for checking out the latest show. I really appreciate the reviews as it helps me figure out which guests resonate with you all and helps the show get discovered. Here are four more recent reviews. The first one comes to us from user Max Philbeck, who says, Great for aspiring advisors. Great job, Brad. I'm a student making way for my career as a financial advisor in the springtime. This podcast has set up a great foundation and is helping prepare me for the adversity I may encounter during this long journey. It has helped fuel the fire for why I chose this career and how I will be better able to assist my clients. Max, thanks for the review and for the kind words. It's fun to see reviews from a mix of industry veterans as well as those who are just starting out like yourself. Some words of advice to live by. Focus on always serving your clients first and success will follow. I promise. Good luck on your journey. The next review comes to us from user JEEF33 who says, Consistently excellent and great variety. I've been listening for a while and have really enjoyed the variety of guests and the way that Brad guides the interviews. I love the mix of topics focused on the business side combined with those on personal development and success away from the office to help us live complete and balanced lives. Really enjoyed the episode with Jim Shields as that topic is one that I've been wanting to really implement for this coming year. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the kind words and taking the time to leave the show review. Uh, Jim Shields' family boardroom framework has been one of the best things I've ever done as a dad. So I love that you're running with it. From my experience, the biggest key to success I've found is to simply schedule the first meeting on your calendar. And once you do one, you won't stop. It's, it's such an incredible experience with your kids. Good luck. Drop me an email to share feedback once you've done one. Next up is R. Weichman, who says, Great podcast. Love the podcast. Every episode provides a lot of great information. Enjoyed the episode on process versus product. It really gets you thinking. Wish the podcast was weekly. Thanks for the review. The process versus product episode consistently ranks as one of the show's top three most downloaded episodes. So glad to hear it got you thinking as well. Uh, this is a framework we've really helped our clients from all over the country implement, trademark, and really integrate into their appointment process to give them a competitive advantage and keep them from being a commodity in their own market. So if any of you are listening in out there and need help with this, first off, go check out the episode, process versus product. And if you need help, Hop out to the website and hit the work with us button in the top of the page if you'd like to apply for a coaching session focused on that. And we'd be happy to help. The last featured review of the week comes to us from Perry DeFresny. Hope I got that right. Who says, Great tool for advisors. This podcast has become a staple addition to my morning commute. Thankful for the ideas and the insights that get shared. Thanks for listening in, Perry. Love that the show is a staple to the morning drive to the office. Appreciate you taking the time to leave us a review as well. As we wrap this show, just have to say that I love reading each and every review. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to send the love via the internet. For those of you that have interest in diving deeper or figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show, my day job happens to be consulting financial advisors from all over the US 
on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus being a slave to it. Yes, it's possible to grow your business and work less. This is a model we've replicated over and over in markets all over the country. So if you'd like to apply to see if it makes sense for us to have a one-on-one conversation, you can do that at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. takes about 5 minutes to fill out the application so we can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. We then dive into a discovery session where we ask a lot of questions, we do a lot of listening, and take a lot of notes to see where we may be able to go from there. Take the first step. It's as simple as applying at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening in. We will catch you on the next show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation. 